American Giant makes the durable, comfortable spring closet staples you need for work, the gym, and even happy hour. Made in America. Designed to last a lifetime. Get 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with code STAPLE20. You are listening to Veggie Doctor Radio, and this is episode number 80. Hey, I'm your host, Dr. Yami. I'm a board-certified pediatrician, certified health and wellness coach, author, and speaker. I'm also a passionate promoter of the power of diet and lifestyle in preventing and reversing chronic disease and bringing joy and longevity into our lives. This podcast is focused on plant-based nutrition, habit formation, motivation, and mindset so that you can have the tools to live the best life possible. Are you ready to get started? Let's do this. It's inflaming us. Uh, it has mTOR properties. It is a disaster <laughs> of a situation when you can just put the protein in from the plant source. Happy Sunday, veggie lovers. I hope that you are doing fantastic and plantastic. Things are going great for you. It's not every day that I can say that I have interviewed an Olympian. What an honor it was to get to talk to Dotsie Bosch for this episode of Veggie Doctor Radio. She is so cool. A former Olympian, silver medal winner, but now she is the CEO of a nonprofit called switch for good. And I'll tell you more about that in a little bit so that you can get ready to listen to our conversation. But first, just a few reminders. Welcome to 2020. So exciting. I'm actually still recording this back in 2019. So I'm talking to you from the past, (laughs) but I'm very excited about 2020. So welcome. Excited to be here in this new year. Lots of great episodes coming to you. Lots of experts. I hope that you're going to have fun. This month, we're going to hear about allergies and we're going to hear about GI from a plant-based pediatric GI doctor. We're going to hear about self-love coming up soon. So many wonderful topics. I'm so excited to bring that all to you. Thank you so much for supporting Veggie Doctor Radio. Please, if you haven't already, subscribe to my podcast, rate it, review it. I appreciate that so much. In addition, if you don't already receive my newsletter, Go to dryami.com, D-O-C-T-O-R-Y-A-M-I.com forward slash sign up, or you can text the word fiber, F-I-B-E-R, to 66866. I do have a review to read for you, to you, from my book, so an Amazon review. My book is called A Parent's Guide to Intuitive Eating, How to Raise Kids Who Love to Eat Healthy, available on all major platforms, but this review is from amazon.com, and it is from the Dr. Beth Morris. Thank you so much, Dr. Morris. She titled her review, Finally, the book to recommend to my pediatric patients. 
I am a family medicine physician specializing in lifestyle medicine, have been waiting for years for a reliable resource to share with my pediatric patients. Love Dr. Yami's book. And as a young mom myself, I have a copy on my own shelf too. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Morris. That gave me chills. I really appreciate it. If you've read my book, I would really appreciate a review on Amazon. You can find a link on the blog post or if you get my newsletter, I would really, really greatly appreciate it. I also want to remind you that the information on this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. It is not meant to replace careful evaluation and treatment by your physician. So if you have a concern about yourself or your child, please see your doctor. Okay, guys, this is amazing. Dotsie Bosch, silver medal winner in the 2012 Olympics in London. So cool that I got to interview her. But what's even cooler is that she helped found a nonprofit called Switch for Good. If you've been plant-based for a while, if you're on social media, you've probably heard about this. You may have seen the commercials. They're so exciting. So before we go on, to the conversation that we have. I want to tell you a little bit about the background by reading to you the description of her organization and how it started. But I also want to say that if you've read my book, if I am your child's doctor, if you're my coaching client, you know how I feel about dairy. I definitely talk about that things don't have to be all or nothing, that's for sure, it does not have to be all or nothing, but when it comes to food and the health benefits of food, dairy is one of those foods that often carries with it more problems than it does benefits. So yes, I definitely grew up in a time of milk, it does the body good, I was an avid milk drinker, used to drink it with every single meal as snacks all the time. My family in Panama still are dairy farmers. It's in my family blood, okay? So this is what I was raised with. And yes, I agree, dairy is delicious, all right? I'm not gonna deny that if we're gonna be real here. However, as a pediatrician, I see that it causes a lot of problems. Constipation, lactose intolerance, chronic abdominal pain, cow's milk protein sensitivity and the little ones, acne, and you know, the list goes on and on. In some people, it may cause chronic inflammation. Some people have different kinds of sensitivities to it, but I see this a lot in my practice. So if you're one of those that you're still consuming dairy frequently, you still have some problems or weird aches and pains and stuff like that, it may be worth a try. It may be worth a try to go off of dairy and see how you feel. Remember, it's all around us, not just the milk we drink, cheese, yogurt, ice cream. It's often in products as a vegan, as a plant-based eater. I'll shop for products and there's some things that I'm like, why do they even put milk in it? Like sometimes I'll look and you know, of course it says processed foods, not whole foods, but I'll look in the back of like for example, just like some plain tortilla chips or something, and it'll have like dairy powder and things like that. So it's in a lot of different things. It seems to be very prevalent. So anyway, Switch for Good, 
The reason I bring up dairy is because Switch for Good started as a commercial with some dairy-free Olympians. So let me just tell you a little bit about it. Okay, for decades, dairy ads have captured the American audience by pulling at their emotions. These commercials aim to evoke a sentiment of family, love, and nourishment, combined with a sense of strength and grit presented by the athlete-driven campaigns. During the 2018 Winter Olympic trials, one particular commercial roused very strong emotions within Dotsie Bausch, an Olympian herself. However, what she felt was far from sentiment. It was shock and anger. Appalled, Bausch watched from her living room couch as the ad declared, quote, nine out of 10 Olympians drink milk, end quote, as if cow's milk played a decisive factor in these athletes' success. Having experienced the Olympic Games and walking away with a silver medal in 2012, she was already frustrated by the dairy industry's infiltration of the Games, but this was the last straw. She felt she could no longer stand by as the industry pushed its products and athletes at national training centers or used these athletes' platforms to sell dairy to the American public by way of lucrative athlete sponsorships. Bausch sprung into action. She gathered together a crew helmed by an Academy Award-winning documentarian plus five other dairy-free Olympians. This passionate group would film their own commercial in response to the misguided pro-dairy one. This revolutionary commercial, which featured these six incredible athletes proudly saying that they had, quote, made the switch for good, end quote, to improve their athletic performance, aired during the 2018 Winter Olympic closing ceremonies and the pre- and post-show Oscars. Fueled by the positive responses of other dairy-free athletes around the world, this tiny team of elite athletes blossomed into a full-blown nonprofit organization. Now over 200 athletes and medical experts strong, Switch for Good represents not only the elite, but the everyday athlete who just wants to live their best life. At Switch for Good, everyone is welcome to the team, whether they've been dairy-free for years, are simply curious about what it means to ditch cow's milk. The goal is to provide a community and a platform for people to share their dairy-free stories and help motivate those who have not yet made the switch, knowing we are right here beside them the whole time. Everyone who is part of our community comes from different skill levels. Some of, us, some of us have won Olympic medals, whilst others are training for their first 5K. Different sports affiliations, different backgrounds, and different paces of life. But we can all come together under our common bond to live better and do more. Going dairy-free is how it all starts. So exciting and so inspirational. I also want to say that Dotsie has her own TEDx talk. It's called Olympic Level Compassion. So look that up, Olympic Level Compassion. She has also been featured in the documentary movie Game Changers. So if you haven't already seen the Game Changers, you definitely need to see it. It's available on Netflix. You can also rent it or buy it on iTunes. And she's in another documentary about the 2012 Olympics that her and three other women trained for and won silver in. And that, that one's called Personal Gold. So lots of cool ways that you can get to know Dotsie a little bit better, see how hardcore this woman is, how amazing, how inspirational she is, 
but she also has a heart of gold. So what an honor and a pleasure it was to interview her for Veggie Doctor Radio. So let's take a listen. Dotsie, I am so honored. I just, this is such a thrill for me to get the opportunity to interview you for Veggie Doctor Radio. Thank you so much for being a guest today. Oh, I'm loving being here. And thank you so much for all your good work. Well, I want to tell you that I watched the documentary, the, um, what is it called? Personal Gold. So I watched that documentary, Personal Gold, with my children. And, Aww. you know, I told them, we're watching it because I'm preparing to interview Dotsie Bosch. And then, you know, we talked about who you were and they just kept asking, so you're going to interview her? You're going to interview her? And at the end, mommy, so you're going to interview her? Like, I just Aww. want you to know that you've elevated my status in my household. So now they <laughs> think that I'm famous because I get to interview you. So thank you very much. How old are your kiddos? They are 10 and 14. Okay. Yeah. Impressionable ages. Well, yes. gosh, that is, makes me feel amazing and super humbled. I'm, I'm glad they, I guess they liked the film or they wouldn't have been so impressed that you were interviewing yeah. me. So it good. was a great film and I definitely want to talk more about that. But before we get into it, you have, wow, you have such an amazing story and there's so much we can talk about. But for my listeners, I would just love for you to take us back to that moment when you made that switch in your brain, when you saw the footage of the slaughterhouses. Mm -hmm. And what happened to you in that moment and you started thinking about changing your lifestyle? Um, you know, I felt really lied to. That was actually the first thought that came to my head. I mean, obviously the footage was, um, you know, just horrifying and disgusting and, and, and just, you know, all sorts of cruel and all sorts of wrong. But I just couldn't believe that I was just uncovering this for the first time. I couldn't believe that this isn't something that is not known, that it's not widespread, that everybody's aware that this is where their food comes from and then we can all make our own decisions and choices. So I just felt like the wool had been pulled over, which as I dove deeper, of course, I found out it certainly has and it's on purpose and they're gonna keep it that way as long as they can. Um, so that was, yeah, that was the first. And I don't, you know, nobody likes being lied to. I mean, I'm not the only one, right? That That's just, that's, it, it really inspired me to dig so much deeper to understand um, that this was, of course, not an isolated incident, which was another thought that I had in the beginning, you know, felt lied to. Then I, you know, immediately kind of gave the benefit of the doubt and thought, well, maybe this is just one scenario, one situation and isolated incidents. Clearly, this can't go on day in and day out, you know, this, this, this can't be the case here in the United States anyway, right? Um, elitist attitude. Um, so it was, it was the, the, the journey of going down the rabbit hole um, and finding out that this is par for the course across the board all day, every day, every single solitary second. Um, and probably, uh, well, actually, from what I know now and all that I've seen now and all of the, um, you know, undercovering, I guess we'll call it, that I've done, uh, that was somewhat mild, what I saw compared to the reality of it all in, in its daily usage. And, and anytime I think you take 
a product that is for profit, that is for uh, revenue, um, and, and you treat them as such, living beings, uh, of course, in this case, in animal agriculture, the animals, um, you can be sure that their interests are not being respected. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what I've, I've really learned from that, you know, and that, of course, then kind of goes into the other industries, like, for example, wool, right, where mm-hmm. everyone thinks, I used to have some Uggs, everyone thinks, oh, they just shave the poor little sheep, and they're cooler for the summer, mm-hmm. and then you go down that rabbit hole, and you see the horrifying way that they take their wool, and you realize it's, it's all the way across the board, um, when something is for profit, when animals are being used um, for profit, um, the, the, the least of their interests are being put forward. And so anyway, that makes you step away from, from using animals in all ways. But that, that, was, a, that was a journey, that, that last part, right, of, of the veganism, kind of letting go of, um, of those types of animal products that we wear. Yeah. And put in our home. It's just such a painful realization. And it is mm-hmm. one of those things that you're just like, how did I not know this? How how come nobody talks about this? How does this really coexist in the world that I've been living in? And I didn't realize it, you know? So it's really, it's really quite painful. So whenever you, you came upon that footage, where were you in your diet? How were you eating at that point? And where were you in your athletic journey? Mm-hmm. I was eating anything and everything. I mean, I grew up in, in the South. I grew up in, um, in Kentucky, outside Louisville, Kentucky. Um, grew up loving animals while still eating them, right? Grew up with horses and we had dogs and rabbits and gerbils and hamsters and fish. And I just, you know, was literally almost every day of my childhood begging my mom for more animals. So um, I grew up with a heart for them, but, you know, had never made the connection to what, what was on my plate. So up until that point in my life, which I was around uh, 37, so it was a, you know, it was, a, it was a wee bit later in life that I recognized what was happening. I was just eating, you know, pretty much the typical standard American diet. I mean, maybe a wee bit better than that because I wasn't going through fast food drive-throughs. But um, I, I, you know, I was just eating. I was definitely eating animals, animal products, you know, eggs, dairy, the whole thing. Uh, and I made a really quick about face. Uh, I, I dropped meat immediately. And, and then, you know, as you go down the rabbit hole again, like I said, <laughs> you can't get back out of the rabbit hole, right? Like once you're, yeah. once you're down there. Um, so started uncovering what happens in the world of, uh, you know, producing products that animals make. So mm-hmm. uh, dairy and eggs, and then slowly took those uh, out of my diet too. So I was, I had been a professional athlete uh, since about the age of 28. So it was almost 10 years in and I had about a couple of years before the Olympic games. I went to the 2012 Olympic games and that was my um, final games. And I retired right after that. So it was a couple of years out um, when I made that full switch over to plant-based diet. So two years before the Olympics when you were right. plant-based. Mm-hmm. Right. Wow. That's just incredible. So whenever you decided to go ahead and stop eating meat and then slowly evolved into fully plant-based, did you have concerns about your athletic performance and what it was going to do for you? Mm-hmm. I did a little bit. I mean, I had had a coach um, that was a vegan a ways back. He's still a dear friend of mine. And uh, he had me read the China study. And, and this was 
you know, way before I, I saw this footage. It, it was like a couple of years before that. So anyway, kind of going back to that, um, you know, knowledge, I, I did realize that I probably wasn't going to die on this this nutrition plan, you know what I mean? Like I was gonna be able to survive. I wasn't worried about that, but I didn't know if I would be able to produce um, the maximum output and that really high level, you know, premium performance that we put forward at the Olympic games. I, I wasn't really sure. There wasn't any, we didn't have any data. We didn't have any studies to, to prove performance on a plant-based diet, we still don't. Um, and we, you know, we just, we certainly didn't really have any examples that I knew of. Um, I mean, I wasn't even really on social media, but I, I wasn't on Instagram before. So I, you know, it's like, I wasn't out there talking about it and hearing from other people what they might be eating or trying or how they're feeling or so it was a little bit in a vacuum. Um, but I just knew that I wasn't going to go back because, you know, the Olympic games are very, highly and widely celebrated and they are a really cool sporting event most definitely but at the end of the day it's again just a really cool sporting event and they come and go and you move on and you do your life and so I thought if I were to go back to eating animals for a specific um, completely and entirely egocentric reason what is that? I mean what does that say about me? What does that say about who I am? What does that say about me standing up for what's right and what I feel is just. And so there just, there just wasn't that option to go back. It just, mm -hmm. it was just, I was just done in my head. Like this is, that wasn't an option. So I never kind of went down the, the, the journey towards plants. Like, well, if this doesn't work, I can go back. I, I didn't really have a fallback plan. It was like, this is going to work. Mm -hmm. um, and it did, you know, I, I just, I didn't find the transition that hard. I know a lot of people do, and you know, a lot of what we, a lot of the work I do today is to help people with that journey. But I think I was just, you know, I knew that this is what was going to happen, so it's like I just had to make it happen, and I, I found it, uh, the transition, pretty easy. I, I mean, I was eating a lot of fruits and vegetables before, mm -hmm. so that helps, right? Because I, I mean, people that are transitioning, let's say from an entirely drive-through diet. Mm -hmm. it's it, you know it, it's going to be a little bit of a rougher transition yeah. um so i was just more of kind of focused on putting more of those foods in and taking the others out and yeah. and so that was kind of my my journey which just was you know a couple of weeks and i felt like i had it i had it pretty dialed wow that's pretty good and but you found the opposite right instead of you didn't die and right. <laughs> your performance didn't go down. You actually felt like it improved your performance in your recovery. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, I think I think so. I mean, I, I was certainly feeling um, like my repair and my ability to recover uh, from day to day was improving. Um, but I was also really intrigued. I could, by repeatability. Uh, so track cyclists, we train two or three times a day. So there'll be a road ride, there'll be a track session, and there'll be a weight room session. So two or three times. So you're basically just, you know, uh, eat, rest, train, eat, rest, train, eat, rest, train. It was really monotonous. Uh, I don't miss that part of it. And so my repeatability between efforts in any day was really um, speeding up as well, which was kind of shocking because that's so immediate that, you know, that's such an immediate change. But I felt like I was, I was able to kind of gather myself up, refuel and have the energy 
um, and the wherewithal and the output to go back out again and again and again um, during any given day. And I, I was waking up with just less um, creakiness in my body, which I now know was definitely a, 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 you know, a massive decrease in the inflammation that my body was going through with all the animal foods in my diet. So uh, I, I didn't really know exactly what that was at the time, but you know, I was not a spring chicken. I was 37, 38, 39 when I was doing this. So um, I was definitely starting to feel uh, just kind of just exhausted and, and, and creaky and sort of strung out in the mornings when I was on an animal-based diet. I mean, I remember feeling like I needed a couple of hours with coffee before I could, I could go out and train. I used to have a joke, like, I don't train till 10. And that was some of the reason why um, that, and because there weren't as many cars on the road, <laughs> 10, <laughs> then, then 8 a.m. But, um, but then, and the plant-based diet, I, you know, I could have gone out, I could have hopped out of bed and trained at 7.30. I mean, I just started feeling great in the morning. That's awesome. And that means a lot to an athlete. I mean, that's a big deal whenever yeah. you're doing that much exercise all day. My goodness, just watching you guys was exhausting. So whenever you first switched, was there something that you missed? Were, was there any part of it that felt difficult for you? Um, no, I, I mean, not in the meat department at, at, at all. Um, uh, and I didn't, I, I was eating eggs every morning. So Eggs were, I didn't miss them, but I missed kind of that satiety that I felt like I got from them. So I easily found that um, in a multi-spiced, great tofu scramble. I mean, that was pretty, I mean, it pretty, you know, it took like a week or two to sort of figure that out. So that was, it's just kind of, I think in the beginning, people are so connected, not just to flavor, but they're very connected to the way food, uh, uh, feels in their mouth, even you know, in the, and 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 even chewing it, swallowing it, the the texture of it, the feeling of it, the look of it when you're putting it in. We're very connected to all of these with all of our senses, so it's not just a taste thing. And some of that I think was uh, just different. Um, and then, of course, like everyone else, I was, you know, didn't realize it, but I was addicted to cheese. Um, which is a you know beautiful aspect that Mother Nature builds in, right, with the casomorphine. But you know, so, since we're breastfeeding as adults, uh, we are also <laughs> addicted in the sense cheese is the most concentrated version of cow's milk. Uh, it's it's you know it's highly addictive, and I did miss that a little bit in the beginning because back then we didn't have uh, as many incredible, beautiful kind of homemade. Um, cashew cheeses and nut cheeses like we have now. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of like, eh, okay, well, I'll just say goodbye to that. You know, it's just kind of like, okay, we'll just do something different. But um, nowadays I can go back to having a beautiful cheese board with, you know, nuts and crackers and a, and a, and a great Chianti or something. My husband and I enjoy doing that together sometimes. So now I, now I miss nothing. But <laughs> awesome. Yeah. I love it. That's great. So, um, I want to talk about the movie a little bit. I want to talk about this documentary because there's something that I found interesting. So the documentary is about you and your teammates training for the 2012 Olympics in those last three months before going to the Olympics and really how you guys were underdogs and you had very little support, financial support, very mm -hmm. little um, people that were supporting you. And then you kind of had to do it on your own. I just love the part with the husband's and them helping, that was like the most adorable thing ever. But what was so cool is that they showed in the film how 
you guys were all able to individualize your training and improve your performance through all these lifestyle measures, which I was all for like the sleep thing and sleeping better at night. That was great. But one thing that popped out at me that they mentioned in the film was how for your genetics, you would do better on a low carb diet. And I'm wondering, cause at that time you were probably all the way plant-based. What did you think about that? And did you even change your diet or adapt anything for the recommendations of that genetic profile? No, I didn't adapt anything. I, I remember it saying, I actually didn't, I didn't remember it saying that. I've got to rewatch. So then obviously I just didn't hear it because I didn't want to, I guess. I didn't remember that part. I do remember the part where it said that, um, you know, having easy, easily can kind of go into um, like a low blood sugar state. And so then I, you know, need to make sure I was, you know, always had something available and was snacking. Mm -hmm. And, and I kind of always been that way. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm always, always snacking. I've been that way whether it was, I was on an animal-based diet or a plant-based diet. Mm -hmm. um, so, but the genetic testing for me, the, the most exciting reveal to that was uh, that I had a sprinter gene, which I could have guessed probably it, given that, you know, my event that I was, you know, best at in my cycling, cycling career was a um, kind of like that middle of distance. That was, that's what team pursuit is, right? Three kilometers. And it takes a mix of aerobic and anaerobic. Uh, work and capacity to be able to be successful at that event. And uh, so that aspect of that real sprinter gene in there and that ability to snap and pop off the line and, uh, you know, finish strong, it was more of a confidence builder than anything. Because at that point, I think we did that genetic testing like a year before. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, it's not like we did it 10 years before and I could, you know, could go way back. So I was already in route to the Olympics. Um, I hadn't made the team yet, but I, 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 ha I was hopeful. Um, and so that was, it, it really turned out to be just a real confidence boost and confidence builder, um, you know, that I had that in there. Because everyone knew I had good endurance. I mean, that was just kind of, I think I just looked the part of an endurance racer and, and it, that just made sense. And I had come from 10 years on the road as a professional moving over to the track. But yeah, that sprinter gene thing was cool. Yeah, <laughs> that was such a cool film. And of course, spoiler alert, which is not really a spoiler because we already know that you guys went on to win the silver medal. Um, and really, even though I knew that that was going to happen, I was on the edge of my seat the whole time as I watched. I was like, wow, they pulled it off. It was so, so cool. And you guys won silver. And it was just so amazing to see that. So that was in 2012. But then several years later, you decided that you would rally a group of people together to make a special commercial. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah. So I came back from the Olympics and um, since you are a fan of personal gold, then th you'll appreciate this. I, um, I knew that I was going to come back and do, you know, animal activism, but as far as a career, um, you know, I'm, I'm 40 at this point. So, and I'd never worked for, uh, you know, in an office or in any kind of corporate setting my whole life. And so I thought, well, it's probably not time to start that now because I don't know how I'll do with that. So um, I built a consulting business um, in sports technology. So kind of using a lot of what we had learned through that journey and applying um, a lot of uh, different various types of medical devices that are out there that, um, you know, help a person or a patient or an athlete be able to understand what's going on in their body uh, during rest. 
So that was an exciting career. And I did that for uh, five years, about five and a half years. And I just, the whole time, I just, it was constantly pulling at my heartstrings that I wanted to do more. I wanted to fight harder. I wanted to, to, to be a louder voice. And I wanted to use my story and kind of what I had been through um, in my journey with it to, to be able to uh, have a bigger impact. I was just doing a lot of volunteering basically in the movement. Um, leafletting, you know, speaking here and there. I did a TED talk. Uh, so that came into fruition um, in the beginning, in January of 2018, uh, when I kind of got a whole crew together and um, seven vegan Olympians. And we basically made a commercial that, uh, that, that we, we stood up and banded together and said, milk is not the fuel that we use to be great and to win medals. And obviously, you know, athletes have been used as the proxy in milk's marketing for many, many years. And uh, I just, I had, I had been a part of that throughout my whole career. The United States Olympic Committee is in bed with the Milk Pet Board. They have a partnership sponsorship. And uh, so all my years of training at the training centers, it was heavily pushed on us athletes. All of the dietitians and nutritionists that work there, you know, are, are fed all of the dairy industry propaganda and all the dairy industry studies, which either their controls or their comparables are always askew uh, when you really dive into their studies. And so it just felt like somebody has to stand up. Somebody has to speak up and, and, and tell the truth and um, so that's, that's, that's how, that's how, that's how we got started at, at, at Switch for Good. And, and that was the beginning of, um, of where we are now. That's awesome. So you started with the commercial, but then it became mm -hmm. a nonprofit after that, correct? Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. We did the commercial and I, and when we did the commercial, we didn't really have any, um, I had the idea actually just a few weeks before the Olympics started. So we were just in, you know, full blast mode of <clears throat> getting it recorded and edited and, and, and on air and just a really passionate team. And I don't think any of us stopped to recognize the impact that we have or the potential of a nonprofit coming out of this. So once we put that on air and, and just kind of sat back to, to, to recognize that there's a real space for this, we have a voice, there's a place in this movement where we're doing something that no one else is doing and we can affect change you know, if we keep going with, with what we're doing. So, yeah. and what kind of reactions did you guys get after that commercial aired? Well, <laughs> so it, I mean, first of all, it, the, the dairy industry kicked it off TV. So that, that was a, that was a story within itself, which really angered a lot of people, but um, it was supposed to air in six markets and it aired in Washington, DC uh, and, and came across the country, but then, you know, it like, it didn't air when it was supposed to air out here. Um, and you know, dairy industry called NBC or the USOC called NBC or the combination of, and, um, you know, power and money, power and money, follow the dollar. And they were able to get it pulled because they're obviously much, we had paid our money, which was, you know, pricey, but, uh, you know, they obviously, uh, were, you know, long-standing sponsors and of NBC and, and advertisers on NBC and still are. So NBC didn't have any trouble. Uh, doing what they said. So we got our money back and we took it over to um, ABC the next week and it aired 
like pre and post Oscars and, and some of the some of the daytime shows. So that was that was one reaction. Um, but the rest of the reactions from the public who had, who had seen it, but obviously not the millions of people that we wanted to see it saw it because it didn't make it all the way across the country. Um, mostly positive, mm -hmm. really, truly, mostly positive. Yeah. Yeah. So did you feel like dairy or milk in particular was a good thing to go after just because it's so prevalent and, mm -hmm. you know, what were, what were the reasons why you felt like that was a good place to start and to develop this around? Well, it's truly, it truly developed out of my experience, right? Like milk and dairy foods because of that relationship, like the USOC doesn't have a sponsorship by the Cattlemen's Association. Mm -hmm. like they have a sponsorship to the tune of many millions of dollars from the dairy industry. And because of that money, um, they push this, the breast milk of a cow on athletes. And I don't think that's fair, you know, mm -hmm. the, and, and it's in there at all. So that it really truly developed out of my experience um, as an athlete uh, in the system, in, in, in the US system and at the training centers. And I just, we just all felt like we wanted to share that it's not a necessary food group. You know, you and I don't even call it a food group. It's a mm -hmm. fantastic food group for a, you know, a baby cow, but uh, for human beings, it's not a food group mm -hmm. and we, we don't need it. In fact, we thrive so much better without it. The other thing that really gets under my skin, which is about dairy that's not true about meat is almost 70% of the world's population uh, cannot properly digest or tolerate, uh, you know, the, the lactose in cow's milk. Mm -hmm. um, and so that to me is a, is a real uh, racial bias and it's a food justice issue. Yeah. And that's not, that's not okay either. So, yeah. And, and a lot reasons. of people, you know, I hear this comment a lot, like, well, what's the problem? You know, it, you're not killing an animal to mm -hmm. get it. I mean, what's mm -hmm. the problem with milk? It's not harming anything. What would you say to that? Oh, I'd probably tell him to watch Dairy is Scary um, on YouTube, you know? I mean, again, going back to if there's an animal involved that's for profit, you can be sure that their best interests, you know, are, are not being put forth. And I think, you know, Pete, you just really have to stop and think. Just stop and think for a second. If, if you're going to make money from the milk of the cow, well, maybe their babies aren't getting it. Because how are you really going to make a, a you know a top level profit if the babies are drinking the milk and the humans are drinking the milk? Once you just start asking the right questions, you uncover the truth behind the dairy industry very quickly. That the babies are stolen immediately. They're pregnant for nine months, just like humans. So, you know, having your baby dragged away from you, you know, within 20, 24, 48 hours, seventy two, whatever, um, is the most horrifying experience any mother could ever even fathom. And then they do it to her again and again and again and again until she is completely wasted and exhausted. And then she's your McDonald's hamburger. Mm -hmm. So another question people can ask, if, if they're not killing anything, then where's the dairy cow sanctuary that has, you know, by now you'd have, um, you know, 20 or 30 billion of them on because cows can live till 20, 22. So we, 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 we go through 265 million dairy cows worldwide every year. So if they're not killing them, where are they all? Uh, the ones that they're done with. So, you know, it's just kind of asking, asking questions. You know, we need to be thinking more critically as consumers across the board, in my belief. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think that part of it is just because the industry, our culture, who knows, there's a, mm-hmm. a big combination of things that have kind of lulled us into this fantasy about these quote, happy cows, right? Your milk comes from happy cows and they're enjoying their life out in California and it's sunny and they're happy and nothing bad mm-hmm. happens to them. But once you start thinking about the sheer volume that's needed to satisfy the, the growing appetites of people wanting certain food products, it can't be like that. It's just impossible because this is a living creature. So in order to get what you want from it, you have to just have volume. You have to have volume and volume and volume. You have to produce methods um, through you know, scientific study to increase milk production, to have these gigantic udders, to milk them faster, probably painfully. I mean, for women that have breastfed, you know that having a pump on you isn't pleasant, but then imagine having that even stronger so that they can pump that milk mm-hmm. out even faster. You know, so it's just about volume. We just need so much to, to quench the appetites of people around the world. And once you start thinking about it that way, you know that it's just not possible to have these idyllic farm conditions where all the cows are happy and they live this, you know, wonderful life. So yeah, it's one of those things you don't know until you really start looking into it and thinking about it because we have been taught that's the opposite. <laughs> so it is, yes. it's very, it's very, very eye opening. So, um, You've also been featured in a documentary called The Game Changers, which is an amazing film and I think has been produced a lot of reactions. Has there, has there been mm-hmm. anything that has surprised you about the success of that documentary and what's happened after that documentary has launched? Um, no, honestly, I mean, I, you know, I've seen it probably 45 times because we did the whole <laughs> entire um film festival circuit in 2018 and and you know the the producers just kept getting feedback and feedback and kind of just continuously tweaking the film to make it the very best it could possibly be and tell the very best story and um so you know from day one i i knew there was something special there right it's a it's an incredible combination of that that speaks to um you know both literal and emotional people and every combination in between, right? Some people just want the hard facts and some people need to be moved by personal stories. And it just has a great combination of both of those in there. So I, uh, I thought, I really thought it would be well received. You know, I mean, I thought, I thought a lot of people would see, I mean, we kind of know from the history of films in this movement, um, you know, uh, Forks Over Knife and What the Health and how, how many people uh, change their eating habits after seeing those films. The documentaries are powerful. So I, I thought it would do well. And then I was just expecting all the riffraff, the, the ridiculousness on the other side. I mean, that's just going to be common. People don't want to stop, you know, stuffing their faces with burgers. So, um, you know, that's just like here nor there, like it should be expected. Right. Yeah. I think it's a good film. And I, I yeah. also like the fact that there was a lot of humorous parts to it too, to kind of lighten the mood, yeah. but I, I right, do right, feel right. Of course, you know, one of the differences of that film from some of the other documentaries is that it does focus on athletes and the ability to be an athlete on a completely plant-based or vegan Mm -hmm. diet and some of the benefits that you might get as a male, (laughs) which a lot of people know about that part of the film too. So there's things in it that are a little different than some of the other films. But 
going back to how you became plant-based and what really kind of just turned, you know, turned that switch in your mind is really the animal ethics, the animal cruelty. Do you feel like talking about that, going around and being an activist in that way, do you feel that it turns people away from plant-based eating? How do you feel about reaching people in that way? Mm -hmm. Well, if I've learned anything, it's that it's really important, well, in any activism, to be a better listener. And I really have been just working on that so much in the last just maybe five years, is just being a really good listener, being intuitive, picking up on what people care about, what matters in their life, what they do for a living, uh, because you can start to discern what they're going to care about after a pretty short conversation. Because yes, some people are not ready for the magnitude of the horror that's behind closed doors in animal agriculture. Some people don't care. Mm -hmm. And that was the biggest hurdle I had to get over. Like that just, I just couldn't understand why there would be people that wouldn't care about that, but they're out there and there's a lot of them. Uh, so it's just, they just don't connect with animals, right? Like they just see them as lesser than, right? They just, it's just, it's just how they see things. It's just how they see the world. And so in order to be effective and an effective activist, you've got to be a good listener because the beauty, as you know, of, um, the power of veganism at plant-based diet is it's good for everything. So if they care about the future of the planet for their children, which most do, if they have kids, you know, there's all sorts of ways you can talk about it. My personal story with the performance is always um, well received because there's, there's kind of like no negatives in it. You, you know, like it, it's like, it makes people feel good. And they're like, oh, if the Olympic athlete can do it, maybe I can do it too. And it's just always a really positive conversation. People like positivity and happiness and, um, you know, and, and inspiration. You know, we live in a pretty negative climate, uh, in, in, especially politically. So, um, you know, that, that is why we focus on, you know, performance at Switch for Good, uh, you know, and it's not just athletic performance. You know, we're all seeking to perform at our best every day. You are, I am, I'm not a professional athlete anymore. I'm just trying to, you know, get a yoga class in here and there. Um, I'm trying to perform at being my best version of an executive director I can possibly be. And I'm learning and I'm screwing up and I'm trying hard and I'm having some successes and some days not. We're just always trying to perform at our best. And I really know that the power of plants are keeping me um, at my best in terms of what they can offer um, to, to, to put out my best performance for running Switch for Good. So, you know, it's, it's, um, it, it, it is a fourth entry point to this movement that is emerging. And that's exciting because we mm -hmm. could use as many entry points as we could get. And we've kind of always just had the three, you know, really solidly anyway, um, health planet and animals. So, uh, I love helping to have this uh, fourth entry point emerge. That's beautiful. And I love that about learning to be a better listener, because I think we can all benefit from that, no matter what our career is, no matter what our end goal is, whether we're parenting or, you know, we're bosses at work. I think that being better listeners is going to benefit all of us. But I think it also points to having empathy and understanding other people and knowing that we're all different and we all have different goals in life. And sometimes one method is going to align better than another. 
And I think that's something that we can all learn as activists is that we don't have to use just one method. We can, we can help people from all different angles. So that's really great. Yeah. So what keeps you up at night? Um, I am a world championship sleeper. So <laughs> not, not much. <laughs> I love that. That is the best. I think I'm, I'm pretty true. similar to you. I, there's Ask not my much husband. that keeps me up at night either. <laughs> I mean, every once in a while you overthink something, but um, yeah, no, I, I, I hope that sticks. I know that I know from uh, many women before me that menopause might interrupt that, but I, I'm hoping I'm five or so years away from that. So for right now, yeah, I sleep great. Well, and you learned how to use those like mattress cooler things, apparently. So maybe if that ever does interfere with your sleep, you already know about that technology. Yes, we do sleep <laughs> cold. Yeah, that's awesome. For sure. <laughs> it helps. What do you wish more people knew? Oh man, I wish, I really wish people knew. I had a conversation right before I got on with you um, where people, um, and this person in particular was, was uh, having protein synonymous with animals. Mm. I wish people just understood the simplicity that all protein originates in plants, mm. that the animals, especially the top three animals that most of us eat, cows and chickens and pigs and turkeys, so top four, um, are all vegetarian. They're all getting their protein from plants. And so we have this really inefficient system of animals as our middleman. Um, and so that is, that is so simple, but if everybody could just understand that, then all of this protein insanity and proteinaholic, you know, kind of, um, marketing that we've been a part of in the last five years, right? I feel like it's about that long, maybe a little bit longer that, um, the industry just continues to push this one macronutrient. You know, like the only with the other, um, the other macronutrients, uh, carbohydrates and fats, and then the micronutrients is where the plant-based diet gets really exciting, and that's the only thing I focus on now. But I wish people just knew that. I wish just that one simple thing: understanding that protein originates in plants, so that you have a choice. You can get it from the earth, or you can get it from the animal. Um, but the animal is really disrupting the process. Um, and it's also bringing with it, not just the protein, but it's bringing saturated fats and trans fats. It's bringing all sorts of properties that damage our cell function, our endothelial cell function. It's inflaming us. Uh, it has mTOR properties. It is a disaster <laughs> of a situation when you can just put the protein in from the plant source. Wow. That, the way that you said that was just that was Olympic gold right there. Okay. That was <laughs> awesome because even me being a physician and having been part of this for a few years and having been plant-based for a few years, I hadn't ever thought of it that way until I saw another plant-based physician say, well, yeah, all protein is coming from plants. You either eat the plant or you eat something else that eats the plant or eat something right. that eats the plants, eat the plants. But I mean, it's just like, Oh yeah. Like I had right. never thought of it that way. I think the more we tell people, the more people will understand very similar thing. I try to explain about omega-3 fatty acids mm -hmm. and the DHA EPA form that people think that they have to get from fish oil. 
Well, where are the fish getting it from? They are getting it from my microalgae. It didn't just spontaneously happen in the fish. So they're either getting it from like microalgae or they're eating other fish that ate that. That's where they're getting it from. Right. And that to me was one of those mind blowing things when I finally made the connection. Oh, well, we can just get it directly from the source. We don't have to eat the fish or purify their fat to get it from there. Um, so yeah, that's, ah, uh, that's amazing. I love it. Thank you so much for that. Yeah, so true. What habit, what personal habit are you most proud of? How did you develop it and how do you maintain it? Um, probably my like resilience. I, 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 I mean, I'm kind of a gritty person. I'm, I'm very gritty actually. You know, I mean, a, a no gets me really fired up in a real positive way versus the negative way of what a no could, you know, I had my ass kicked yesterday by a donor actually. Um, and and uh, I, I'm so fired up to, for, for success. So, you know, so it, that, that, and I think that is just, that is, that's a, a real gritty nature. And I've always been that way, just kind of born that way. But also um, right alongside uh, is, it's, you know, first cousin is resilience, right? That, that, that gritty ability to be able to kind of bounce back. And that's what that was after that conversation. Um, and that I really, I feel I cultivated and learned it from going through um, my eating disorder that I almost lost my life to uh, in, uh, in anorexia. Uh, and I, I finally cultivated a, a ability to be resilient and, and, you know, throughout recovery, as everyone knows, who's gone through any kind of recovery um, process or journey, um, you screw up a million times before you get to what you would consider fully well or or you know healed um from your disorder or whatever you were practicing that was very unhealthy and if you don't integrate resilience into that you never get there mm -hmm. you know i mean i messed up every every day uh especially in the beginning 10 times a day and and the ability that i learned to be able to bounce back from that and go okay that was an hour ago now it's this hour now i have an opportunity um, and that really, that sort of resilience took me all the way to the Olympic games because I looked at, I struggled from severe nerves my whole career as a cyclist and especially as a track cyclist. And, um, my sports psychologist helped me towards the end, um, kind of use that resilience when I would get really nervous and turn that, we call it my three minutes of opportunity. My event is a little over three minutes and I would. I was fearing it and turning that three minutes in my head into dread. And she helped me turn it into my three minutes of opportunity, which was again, practicing resilience, you know, bouncing back from feeling really scared and really fearful and wanting to just drop in a hole and disappear um, to bouncing back from that and saying, no, this is a huge opportunity. This is what you've been working for. Why would you want to fall into a hole and disappear? So uh, yeah. I think resilience and I don't know I don't I don't know how it stays it just now it's just built in I think right anytime you've worked so hard on something and practiced it um I guess I just practiced it in its own action like yep. with the donor yesterday you know like I, I was like mad after that call and it was like I, it was a little bit of maybe the first time I'd experienced someone just not totally in alignment with the work that we're doing yeah and that's gonna happen mm -hmm. but before then you know everyone had been like this is a, this is amazing. You know, and he was like, Oh, dots, check your ego at the door because you know, not everybody's going to be into this. And, uh, and that's okay. You know, that's okay. 
Wow. Yeah, no, I think that because you feel that you don't even know how you maintain it, that's when you know it's a true habit, right? Mm -hmm. right. It's like such a habit that you don't have to think about it. It just happens. And yeah, for sure, your life over and over and over and over again, you've had to be resilient. Of course, you know, it's the shiny Olympic story that's just so beautiful. But I really wish we had more time to talk about your eating disorder and the journey you went through there, because that's super interesting to me and something that I can really identify with. I can't identify mm. with being an Olympian, unfortunately. Maybe. I still have time. I don't think it's impossible, though. <laughs> yes, you can. You're a doctor. You trained a really long time for that. And it takes, it takes a while. It took a while for it to come to fruition. It Same thing. But I love how you say that a no gets you fired up because I've had to train my husband that whenever I say I want to do something, if he does not want me to do something, he should not say no. Because if he says, no, you can't do that, I will do it even faster. Right. <laughs> so it's like, have you not learned? You not learned by now, my dear husband. So maybe your no, husband knows better than my husband, but <laughs> no, I think he has learned that actually. women like us. <laughs> Exactly. I love that. I love that. I love that you're training him well. <laughs> All right. So tell us more about how we can support you on Switch for Good. What can we do as advocates, as activists? Yeah. Tell us what to do. Yeah. Well, we have a really exciting 2020 ahead of us. And I just, I love for everybody to just know that they can be a part of it. We literally have a team that you can join and it says join our team on the website. So it's, it's switch the number four, like the digit four.org, switch for good, obviously, .org, number four. And um, so if you are a recreational athlete, if you are somebody who's just active and you just want to take the stairs instead of the elevator when you go to work, if you're planning to walk or run your first 3K, I mean, just anything that if you're an active person and you believe that kind of what you put in is what you get out, whether you're plant-based or carnivore or omnivore or wherever you are, um, join the team because that's when you really, uh, I mean, it's free and everything. We're a nonprofit, right? It's not like, um, but that's when you get really integrated into the work that we're doing and you can get um, plugged in and be a part of the campaigns that we're doing next year. We're doing another commercial that you can help to share our work, talk about our work. We even have full-blown Switch for Good educator program. So you, as an individual, let's say um, in Washington, can go out to your library or your health department or your local run club and give a full presentation um, on the power of leaning into plants. We have all the support. It's, it's a full, beautiful PowerPoint with graphics and videos, and you tell your story, and then you can... Um, and that was just really built out of so many of our team members and just people that are um, following Switch for Good saying, you know, I, I want to be able to give a presentation or I want to be able to tell this in a, a more scientific way. And I, and I feel like I know the way, but, you know, people won't listen to me because I'm just uh, one of their, you know, comrades, one of their friends, another runner. What do I know? And since Switch for Good has this incredible um, team of experts and physicians and dietitians and, and, and coaches, then you know, it allows them to have kind of that voice of authority come, come forward and educate in that way. So if you don't mind being in front of people, that's, that's, a, that's another way, but um, stay, just stay in tune too, right? Just kind of stay in tune over social media, which is super easy to find us at Switch for Good on every platform. Awesome. So people can go to your website, switch for good with the number four. 
www.thepowerofthenow.org. Yes. And they can join part of the team. They can get resources. They can give presentation, follow you Mm -hmm. on social media, share, do all that stuff and support this wonderful organization doing great work. Yes. And it sounds like you guys are very inclusive, right? So no matter what your way of eating, people can benefit from coming and learning, right? Absolutely. And we don't shove anything down anyone's throat. Um, And you won't hear us besides me when you're asking direct questions, talk about animal cruelty. I mean, I'll always be myself and I'll always tell my journey in and I'll always be 100% upfront and honest. But at Switch for Good, we believe that there are, you know, extraordinary organizations doing that work. And it's, it's not what we're experts in. Um, and so you'll hear uh, all science and performance, uh, health, health and performance related uh, understanding and education and inspiration from us. So if that is interesting to you and you're curious about that, no matter what you're eating, uh, no one's judging. Because again, for me, you know, over 35 years of my life, I never thought about this. And, and it just was through a you know, my own uh, journey to it that I, that I found it. So everybody's on a ride. And so if you're curious, you know, come hang out with us and, and, and see what, uh, see what you can learn. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you so much for creating this organization and for having the resilience and the persistence and for never giving up and following your heart too, because it sounds like you're doing really fulfilling work that's helping a lot of people. Thank you so much. That was a, that was such a fun interview. I really appreciate getting to spend some time with you and excited for it to come out. Awesome. Well, thank you for being on the show today. Good luck on everything. I hope to meet you in person someday, and I hope that you have a so very too. plantastic day. You too. Take care. I hope that you enjoyed today's episode. Thank you for tuning in, and I look forward to having you back again next week. A very special thank you to the band Rocket Surgeons for permission to use the broccoli song. To find out more about the Rocket Surgeons, please visit their website at rocketsurgeonsband.com or Facebook at Rocket Surgeons Music. Please subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Also, all of my social media links can be found in the podcast description. Send me a message and let me know what you think of today's podcast sharing is caring. Please share, rate, and review my podcast and drop me a line if you have ideas for future episodes. Thank you once again and have a plantastic day. Do you have that one piece of clothing you keep going back to no matter how full your closet is? Having a versatile high quality favorite feels great but having a whole closet of them feels even better. American Giant puts the quality, durability, and comfort they're famous for into everything from t-shirts and jeans to sweatshirts and jackets. And of course, their legendary best hoodie ever. So you can fill your wardrobe with the pieces that will get you through your spring days, like the lightweight joggers and pullovers in the French Terry collection or the rich and polished premium Slub Crew tee. Whether you're dressing for work, the gym, or happy hour, American Giant makes something that's sure to be your next closet go-to. And it's all made in America and designed to last a lifetime. Find a closet staple for every part of your day at American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use Staple 20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com. Promo code STAPLE20.